Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Uh, You see, Andrew got this up here for me. I'm I'm like Matt. I got to have be surrounded by my papers and my Bible and everything. When I'm working on this at home, preparing for it, my desk is full, and I've got another little small cabinet over here that's with stuff stacked on it, and I'm surrounded by papers and everything. <laughs> but we're, this is what helps me. Uh, so as Andrew said, uh, we're continuing in this, uh, this uh, sermon series, Faith in Uncertain Times, and uh, we've been, the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of focusing more on the pastor's perspective, I think, uh, what uh, what it looks like for a pastor to care for and, and to love his church. And this morning we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to be focusing more on uh, what it looks like for a church to love one another, for Christ's church. So I've titled this sermon this morning, The Love of the Church. Uh, as we know, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And we know that Paul definitely loved this church. Uh, we see that in what Andrew just read. He, he suffered for them. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he cared for them. He sacrificed for them. And he prayed for them constantly. We'll see that play out in today's reading. And my hope and prayer is that, that it will serve as an example for us to live by. Uh, uh, that it will serve as an example for non-believers to see just what it is that's different about us Christians uh, and to see what it is like to love one another the way Jesus loved his church. If I could come up with one sentence to summarize today's uh, text, it would go something like this. God's people must passionately love one another if we are to be God's people. Uh, loving one another isn't what immediately comes to, to mind whenever we look at the world around us today. We most definitely live in uncertain times. All around us, we see things happening that move us to, to a breaking point, things that really test our faith at times. For example, we see some who want to redefine marriage through same-sex marriage. And our government even says that's okay. But God says something different. The Bible tells us that marriage is a union of man and woman before God. And that's from Genesis 2.24. And we see babies being killed every day through abortion. But, and our government says that's okay too. But Jeremiah 1.5 tells us that God knows us before He forms us in the womb. If you turn on the news, all you see is anger and violence nowadays. We even face challenges inside the church. Fighting over personal preferences or the compromising of the gospel because of choosing man's wisdom over the truth of God's word. And most recently, with all the hardships that uh, the church has faced through, through COVID, uh, lots of tough decisions to be made, like do we meet or do we not meet? How do we go about it? These things have caused divisions in, in some churches, but that hasn't been the case here, thank God. Uh, but if we love one another the way that God has shown His love for us, and I'm talking about He loved us so much that He, 
he gave us his only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. If we can learn to love like that, then we can be we can find forgiveness from these and all of our sins and we'll be found blameless when Jesus comes again. It's that kind of love for one another that Paul's showing us today in Thessalonians. The world around us doesn't really understand this kind of love. And, it, and it's also this kind of love that has the power to change lives. So today, we're going to be taking a look at a few ways that the church loves one another in our preparation for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ again. But before we go there, since we're going to be focusing on the church today, uh, let's take a look at, a, at, a, at how some people view the church. Have you ever met someone who is just against organized religion altogether? These people usually have something negative to say about the church. Uh, they may have had a bad experience at one time or another in their past. I can remember as a kid growing up here, overhearing a family member tell another one that the church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And then there are others who have a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward the church. They, ha uh, they have no negative feelings toward the church, but they don't really see it as a meaningful part of their lives either. They may attend or they may not attend. They're not against it, but they're not really for it. They attend when they feel like it, but they're never really connected in a relational way. And this was me when I was younger. Before I was saved, I was a take-it-or-leave-it person. Back then, the main reason that I attended church was because I thought it made me look like a good person. I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. I could check off that box. But there was no relational connection. But God did not intend for His church to be this way. God did not send His Son to die so that we could attend church once a week. The church was never meant to be a weekly family tradition or a social gathering that we take part in to give us something to do. And it's not meant to be something that we do to check off a box so that we can make ourselves look good. So what is the purpose of the church? The Bible tells us that Jesus established his church so that, so that forgiven people might be spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish. That's from Ephesians 5.27. And Peter described the church this way. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's from 1 Peter 2.9. And, and what a demonstration of love this is. Christ died for us and called us out of the darkness so that, we may, so that we may be found pure and innocent before God. He made us holy in His eyes, even though we're still sinners. We were chosen for this. Our only requirement is that we repent and believe. This kind of love should cause us to automatically proclaim the gospel of Christ to everyone we meet. And this is the sort of love that Paul had for the Thessalonian church. And it's clearly on display in today's text. 
But as Grant talked about a couple of weeks ago, this was a new church. They were still baby Christians, I think is what Grant called them. Paul was forced to flee from them for his own safety before he was ready to go. And the reason he was so concerned about leaving them so soon was because he knew that as soon as he left, the false teachers were going to move in and they were going to try to discredit Paul. And in discrediting Paul, they would be discrediting the message. Paul knew, Paul knew that this church had some growing to do as a church family. Uh, we as parents long to see our kids grow up and mature into adulthood so we can, so they can face the li- uh, life's battles. Well, this is kind of what Paul felt for this church. They were like his spiritual children and he wanted to see them grow in love for one another and to mature in Christ together so that they wouldn't be changed or moved by life's trials and afflictions. So when he could stand it, when he couldn't stand it any longer, he sent Timothy to go strengthen and encourage them. We read about that in verses 1 and 2. Imagine how, imagine how happy Paul was to hear the good news of their faith and their love and that they wanted to see Paul just as much as he wanted to see them. So this was not a church with a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. They wanted to be together. Imagine what it would be like if all the people in the church loved each other this way. There would be no more silly disagreements over personal preferences. People wouldn't be able to stand uh, to be away from each other. They couldn't wait to come together in worship and in fellowship and in praying together. But to be a church like this requires intentional effort on our part. It requires an investment in each other's lives. It's not always easy. In fact, sometimes it's pretty hard. But we're not a church if we function alone. We need to do it together. So let's take a look at a few ways that Paul teaches us to love one another so that we can be the church of Jesus Christ. Number one, the church loves one another when... We sacrifice for sacrifice together. Christ established His church through sacrifice. We're only able to be to have a relationship with God because of the love God showed for us through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus Christ. Romans five eight tells us, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's with that same line of thinking that Paul showed his sacrificial love for the Thessalonian church. One way we sacrifice together is we sacrifice our plans together. Paul's Paul's love for for the Thessalonians was so strong that he sacrificed his own plans. He he really agonized over not being able to see them. He was, as we mentioned a while ago, he was like their spiritual father agonizing over not being able to see his children. Have any of you ever experienced what it feels like when your kids leave home to go out on their own? I know some of you have. I have. And yes, I am that old, by the way. I remember what it felt like when my kids left home to go to college. Uh, And I can't lie, it was... uh, it was an embarrassing moment to, to talk about with you guys because, you know, a man's not supposed to cry, you know. That's just the way uh, our culture sees that. 
But uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I cried uncontrollably like a little baby when, when my, our first uh, child left home. You see, Carrie was our first firstborn, and we were leaving her three hours away at college in a strange place with people we didn't know that well. And I probably cried for the first 30 miles on the way home. And then one year later, we were leaving my son three hours away in the opposite direction. And uh, with in an unfamiliar place, people we didn't know that well. And I was like, yes, we finally got the house all to ourselves now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really, I'm joking, really. It really hurt so bad inside that I couldn't stand it, neither one of us. But that's the best way I can relate to what Paul was feeling here. Paul wanted to go and see them personally, but Satan was continually hindering his plans. If you remember, Paul led Thessalonica. He left Thessalonica and went to Berea to bring them the word. But the same troublemakers that were in Thessalonica followed him there, and they started stirring up division there too. Paul left Berea then and went to Athens while Timothy and Silas remained at Berea. You can read all about this in Acts 17. But later, Timothy joined Paul in Athens, and even though Paul wanted his brother in Christ there with him, he sacrificed his plans by sending him back to Thessalonica to help that young church deal with the problems they were facing. See, Paul was willing to adjust his plans for God's plans. And that's what believers do. Churches too often fall into the trap of placing more importance on their own plans than God's. I think many times people's vision of a growing church is getting more people in the church. We tend to focus too much on the numbers. And while we do, we do want more people in the church, definitely, uh, if they're not being discipled and growing in Christ, then it's all for nothing. Sometimes churches will try to come up with great plans on how to fill more seats, things like strategic advertising ideas or cool-looking programs, a new state-of-the-art building, but many times that's not what God has in mind. God is more interested in the spiritual growth of His people than filling up every single seat. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our plans for God's plans. So, And also, we sacrifice our comforts for one another. The rewards waiting in heaven far outweigh the sacrifice made here on earth. In, Samuel 5, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, God told Samuel to obey is better than sacrifice. So for Paul, sacrificing the companionship of Timothy, as he talks about in verse 2, it was a small price to pay for the sake of the Thessalonians. Paul's willingness to sacrifice his comfort for the sake of the church was amazing. And I know that Matt mentioned this last week, but I'd already planned to use this example anyway. <laughs> and uh, it's important enough that we bring it out again right now. I'm sure he won't mind. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul described the many sacrifices that he willingly made 
Notice I, I stress the word willingly. He suffered imprisonment, countless beatings, often near death. Five different times he received 40 lashes, less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. And it goes on and on. But the point here is his comforts were secondary to those of the church. It kind of makes you think twice about complaining, doesn't it? To sacrifice our comforts for each other doesn't sound that bad when you think of what Paul went through. This, this is a picture of what the church is. This is a picture of how the church loves one another. And another way we, another way the church shows its love for one another is we suffer together. When we become Christians, even though our sins are forgiven, our problems don't disappear. We, we all live in this fallen world. And as followers of Christ, we're, we're going to face many obstacles and trials. But it, it's all to prepare us for when Christ comes again. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13 tells us not to be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes to test you, but rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings so we may also, so we may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And in suffering together, we, we hold one another up. And that's the example we see in Timothy here. Paul sent Timothy to encourage them and to strengthen them in their faith. And a, a strong faith is extremely important for all believers. We see this uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, And with, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. See, Timothy was well qualified for this task. Paul's trust in him to send him and check on them uh, and to help them is testimony to that, to that. Timothy was a fellow worker. He, did, he wasn't one who tried to run the show himself and get people to follow him. He was first a fellow worker with God. It was God who worked in and through Timothy to accomplish his work. And Paul talks about that in Philippians 2.13. But he was also a fellow worker with the other believers. He obeyed Paul and left Athens for Thessalonica, as he mentions in verse 2. And he returned to Paul with the news about the church. Paul sent Timothy because he was worried about the condition of their faith. A strong faith was so important to Paul that he mentions it several times in chapter 3. If you look through chapter 3, you see it mentioned in verses 2, verse 5, and again in 7 and 8, and again in verse 10. A strong faith is very important for all believers. Paul tells us why in verses 3 and 4. Take a, take a look with me at, verse, uh, at verses 3 and 4. In verse, the second part of verse 3, it says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it's come to pass and just as you know. Paul was a pretty straightforward guy. He taught them that persecution and trials 
for believers is a reality. They are going to happen. But these trials and afflictions don't happen for no reason at all. They are to strengthen our faith. And I like what uh, Warren Wearsby says about trials. He says in a quote, The trials and testings that come to our lives are not accidents. They are appointments. As Christians, we must expect to suffer for His sake. Paul wanted, Paul wanted the Thessalonians to, to be prepared for the suffering that they were going to face. And if, if church leaders love the church that they lead, they're going to prepare, uh, they're going to prepare them for the realities of suffering. Paul wanted all believers to know what, that pain isn't our, our enemy. Of all people, he should know this. We can find comfort in these words from 2 Corinthians 12. In verses 9 and 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These trials and tests are to make us stronger. God's, God's grace is sufficient for us. And God uses our weaknesses to display His power. And just like Timothy was there for his brothers and sisters to encourage them, to strengthen them, that's the way the church is to be for each other. It's a mutual love for one another. We are there for one another during the good times and the bad. And we go through these appointments together to hold and, and hold one another up. So we, we say we hold one another up and we endure life's trials together. Take a look with me at verse 6, if you would. <clears throat> but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. The Timothy, he was reporting the good news of their faith and love and that, and that they remembered them kindly. The Thessalonians remembered them kindly, referring to Paul and Timothy and Silas. And he longed to see them. There was a mutual bond between them. This mutual bond, it's the same kind of bond that believers are blessed to have between themselves and God. It's the relationship of giving and receiving. And it's the concept of loving one another. We see God grants us His grace and we respond in praise and adoration and obedience. And I think this is why it's so important for people to get connected in the church. But how do we do this? How do we get connected? Well, simply we, we get connected through worshiping and serving together, through studying the Bible together through fellowship together, and through praying together. When we do these things together, we build these relationships that bond us together 
so we can endure life's trials together. And this is what Paul is talking about, I believe, in verse 8. To, he mentions to stand fast. To stand fast means to remain determined, to persist, to refuse to be defeated, to not waver. Paul was so excited to hear that they were not wavering in their faith. And it was a great encouragement for him because it meant Satan had failed in his attempt to disrupt the Thessalonian church. And this is a lesson for us today as well. We have to refuse to be defeated by Satan's fiery, trial, uh, fiery trials that he sends our way. We have to stand together, stand fast together in the Lord. And we can't do it by ourselves. We need to be united in love for one another to endure. This is the blueprint that Jesus laid out for us for the church. We love one another the way that he loves his church. And a third way that the church shows its love for one another is that by praying together. We can learn a lot about Paul just by reading his prayers. One of the things we learn here is that Paul was a man who deeply loved God and he deeply loved uh, his, the people in his church. In the last few chapters, uh, last few verses of chapter 3, Paul's going to be showing us how we should pray for each other, what our prayers should be about, and why we pray for each other. So let's take, take a look at, at three ways that Paul teaches us to pray. Number one, we pray passionately for one another. Take a look at verse 10, if you will. Verse 10 says, as we pray, as we pray most earnestly night and day that, he, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul mentions the phrase most earnestly. The word earnestly means with sincere and intense conviction or seriously. Paul's telling them in verse 10 here that his, his prayer for them, for them is sincere. He truly cared about them. You can almost sense the intensity in his words here. And there was a passion in his prayers that was full or abundant. Paul has been described as one who prays super abundantly. Listen, listen to, uh, to how Paul ends this prayer for spiritual strength from Ephesians 3. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then, so Paul teaches us to pray passionately for one another. And then he also teaches us that we pray per persistently for one another. Paul didn't just say a prayer and then that was it. He prayed for them, as it says, night and day, just like he worked. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 9, Paul said, we work for you night and day that we may not be a burden to you. And the idea here is not 
not that they, what time of the day that they prayed. The idea here is he didn't give up. He kept after it. It's not about the time. It's about being persistent in how intensely you pray. The two kind of go together. E.M. Bounds describes this kind of praying like this. He said, Prayer is no petty duty put into a corner, no piecemeal performance made out of the fragments of time which have been snatched from business and other engagements of life. But it means that the best of our time, the heart of our time, and strength must be given. It's that kind of praying. <clears throat> Colossians 4.2 says that we should continue steadfastly in prayer which means to hold fast, to not let go. And this is the example for prayer that Paul's laid out for us here. And then we see Paul shows us that in, in praying together, we need to pray precisely in our prayers for one another. And Paul gets precise in his prayers here. He's not just saying a vague prayer of bless this church. He's making some detailed requests here. In verse 10b, 10 part b, he prays for their spiritual growth. He wanted to supply what was lacking in their faith. And he knew that they loved Christ and their faith was growing, but he wanted them to be spiritually strong. He wanted them to mature in their faith. And in verse 11, he prayed for God to direct their way to them. Or another way to put it would be to open doors for them because he wanted so bad to go and see them. You know, we can make plans to do things on our own, but ultimately we are dependent on God to open and close the doors. We need to trust God to do what is in his best interest and not ours. So in that, we pray for God to give us the way and when he does, we accept it and we make that our way, even if it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. Then in verse 12, we see he, he requests that their love would increase. We know that Jesus told his disciples, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The, Thess the Thessalonians were loving one another but we're never going to reach a point where our love stops growing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he said, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge will all pass away, but love never ends. So in conclusion today, I believe, uh, I believe Paul has laid out in chapter 3 what the church of Jesus Christ should look like. Uh, it's a, its foundation is built on love. To be in Christ is to be a part of His church. Uh, you can't love the church if you do not belong, if you do not love God's people. Paul shows us that loving each other is not always easy. And our love for each other is a testimony to others that we belong to Christ. To be God's church means that we sacrifice our plans and our comforts together and suffering to, and we suffer together. We hold another, each other up in that and endure life's trials together. 
And we do it by praying together for one another. So we have this picture of the church that Paul has laid, has given us here, but there's there still remains one question that's unanswered. Why? Why does he emphasize the need for the church to love one another? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 13. He says, So that he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Jesus is going to come again. And this is our hope. This is why we endure suffering. This is why we make sacrifices. And this is why we pray for one another. And in just a moment, we're going to see another one of the things that we do together to show our love for one another in participating in the Lord's Supper together. And I just want to say, if you're, if you're here today and you don't know what it's like to have this kind of hope, to, uh, or you don't know what it's like to be a, a part of Christ's church family, I encourage you to come and talk with one of us, with me or Brother Andrew. We'd be glad to, to sit down and talk with you about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for your word today. Your word is like a is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We're all on this journey together that is uh, sometimes filled with darkness, but we pray, Lord, that your word provides the light for us to see the way. We know there are going to be trials and and hard times along the way, so Father, we ask that you help us to help us to trust in you more, to trust in your plans for us and not our own plans. And help us to make our love increase and abound for each other. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone here that has not been saved from their sins, Father, we just pray anyone that doesn't have a relationship with you, we ask that you would lead them to a place of seeking forgiveness and putting their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.